Hey, everybody. Today's episode is an absolute fantastic one. I am super pumped to be bringing you this conversation uh, with Bob Henningsen. Bob was actually a teacher at the school that I went to for high school and is a treasure trove of great experiences and stories uh, from a lifetime of backpacking. Bob started his journey in this incredible hobby uh, back in the 70s and has really gone on some incredible journeys throughout Europe uh, through the Ozark Trail here in Missouri and had just a lot of great kind of valuable experiences to share with me and really kind of opened up my mind to maybe doing some more backpacking overseas, which was never really something that was on kind of my horizon as far as uh, things that I really wanted to do in the near future. So a great conversation. I really enjoyed talking to him and getting to know him. Uh, had me over to his beautiful home in, uh, in St. Louis, and we really just had a great time. So I know you're going to enjoy this. Let's go ahead and get in. Okay. Um, without going really through a full personal history, I one, probably it's really important that I grew up on a farm and so I was used to the out of doors and I love the out of doors where, was, wanted, your, where was your farm at in Iowa uh, Grundy County Iowa it's so a uh, real good farmland it was a small family farm and it's just my brother and me and mom and dad and um, always enjoyed being out from under a roof and so if I could do my brother did the field work with my dad and I helped my mom around the yard but I always wanted to get out of the house and feed the animals that was one sure. of my things and so um, I would say there my love for a sky overhead that's where that began and um, my first backpacking trip and then I bicycled and I love to be outdoors but I never went hiking you know there in in rural Iowa like that it's just a sea of corn and so there aren't footpaths or anything there are a few now but still it's a sea of corn um, but the first backpacking trip I did was 1974 to the Grand Canyon uh, with a friend that I met in college and that opened my eyes to I mean have you been to the Grand Canyon I have gone over it I've been near it but I've never actually stood on the edge and looked yeah. down now yeah so that was you talk about an eye-opener. I mean, it's oh, a literal yeah. eye-opener when you go to the canyon and you start. It's really daunting when you see it and you think, I can't, I'll die if I go down into there because of some of the steep drop-offs and everything. But uh, that was one of, what, I've been there five times. Oh, now. have you really? Yeah, hiked into and out of. And so uh, it's a favorite destination. And it began in 74. And then I... A high school friend, and he's still my uh, best hiking companion. I do a lot of solo hikes. That's principally what I do are solo hikes. But uh, I just got back from England 10 days ago. Oh, wow. AJ, yeah, and uh, hiked for two and a half weeks over there. He and I do this as a high school buddy. And so he and I went out then to the northwest of the United States in 75 to the whole River Valley, the Rainforest, and Olympic National Park. And... Uh, my gosh, and then that got him hooked in the North Cascades and all of that, and uh, we came home from that. And uh, since then, he and I have coordinated times together to go out hiking, and we hiked a lot of the, uh, a lot of the West. He's, yeah. he's taken a number of trips to the canyon with me too, and then one to the, to uh, the Appalachian Trail. In fact, I've never through hiked the Appalachian Trail; just did a bit of it, but. Um, so it began in college. It began really with my, my childhood, the love for the outdoors, and then but the hike to get on the trail began in 1974. I was 23 at that time, so, 
and I've been hiking ever since as much as I can. And uh, one of the things actually that drew me into the teaching profession was to have summers off. Now, I wasn't an avid hiker when I chose my profession, but I thought I, I can have summers to do things outdoors. I wasn't quite sure yet, but I just wanted my free time. and So that's really been conducive to my hiking as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. One of my great, one of my great um, regrets, honestly, in life is I was very fortunate that my parents <laughs> uh, sent me to a summer camp uh, with my best friend growing up, this kid named Neil, who was actually the first episode of the podcast. Uh, no, second, sorry. Um, okay. But also with Chris Bremner, uh, I, we didn't know he was going, but he just randomly ended up there. Uh, it was a, a, an adventure camp called Sanborn Western Camps in Colorado. Okay. It's a five-week adventure camp you have a base camp with kind of wood frame army tents and cots and then each week you go out on excursions Mm -hmm. and it might be horseback riding or backpacking mountain climbing all kinds of fun stuff i think i did five 14ers in five weeks at 13 years old wow Uh, granted you're doing like lincoln nebraska that whole ridge walk where you do four but still still a lot when you're that age yeah um and I think that when I went on that trip, my parents kind of realized like, oh, we get bored when he's not around because I'm an only child. Uh Um, But, you know, got to explore some of the West early on at that age. And one of the great regrets that I have in life is a not going back to that camp year after year after uh-huh. year. I really should have asked my parents. That was parents. a one-shot deal for you? No, they would have let me. Uh-huh. I think I just got so involved in summer sports. Yeah. Uh, I was playing, gotcha. I was running yeah, track and were. field. I was yeah. doing soccer. I was always in sports. Yeah. Uh, so that kind of fell by the wayside. But the big regret that I have is quite frankly, not going back as a counselor. Uh, I was uh-huh. a counselor for four summers at Baroque and was a counsel- camper there for six summers. Uh, and that was one of the most fun things I've ever done was mm-hmm. being a counselor and being outside all day and playing games and having fun with kids. It was great. The idea that I didn't get to do that at Sanborn and go on some of the trips as a young adult, because the, most of the counselors were 18 to 25 years old. Okay. And then you're, you know, with 12 and 13 and 14 year olds. And yeah. so it's mainly kind of college age kids Absolutely. with some adults that are kind of running things. Yeah. And that would have been a really, really fun summer away from college thing <laughs> to do. Been. Interesting that you mention it. I spent two of my college summers as a camp counselor at a place called uh, Camp Foster in East Okaboji, Iowa, which is far northwest. It's a big lake. Um, And, yeah, I I mean, there was no hiking involved in that, but it was still outdoor activities. And that just fostered that growth, too, or the the desire to be outdoors. But, yeah, it's it's a great learning experience. You don't get paid anything as a camp counselor. You know that. But it's still good to be out. You develop a a good friendship community, a friendly community among the counselors and the kids and everything. Well, and it's, I will say this, that to this day, and I just turned 35 at the start of July, to this day, every single year, I have gotten a birthday card from Sanborn Western Camps. That's fantastic. They still send me one All every right. single year, and I talk about them on my podcast, and yep. I tell them, I talk to my friends about them. Yeah, uh, I think that's great marketing from a guy that's in that industry. So sure. I'm a big fan of theirs. Um, yeah. So you kind of got started in the '70s, and then have you know obviously spent some time throughout the rest of your life doing a lot of backpacking. Yeah. So what have kind of been some of the other significant things that you've done that you kind of really look back at fondly? Well. Um, yeah, I moved from the United States. Once I started teaching at Burroughs, that was in 1981. Uh, 
I'll take a step back from that. I was at Washington U. I came down to St. Louis. I was teaching high school in Mason City, Iowa. It wasn't a good gig at all. Class size was 35, and uh, I had six classes a day. It was crazy. Wow. The kids weren't motivated. I mean, what a night and day experience between that and what I found at Burroughs. But I got a chance to go, come down to St. Louis and uh, be a part of the writer's program at Washington U. And so I took that chance and I went to school there one summer, got my degree from Washington U, but one summer, and that was the summer of 1980, uh, I went to a summer program, a, a course on D.H. Lawrence in Oxford, England. And um, I took my tent and my boots along because I had read, I didn't really investigate thoroughly, but I had read that there's some great backpacking hikes in England. And I thought, okay, maybe if I get some time off, I can do one. Well, sure enough, I had a week off and the locals said, you want to go to, the, to Cornwall, which is the southwest coast, and there's a peninsula path there. And uh, so for that week, I, I hiked that peninsula path, took the train down and hiked between these towns called Barnstipple and Newquay on the southwest uh, peninsula and just fell in love with hiking in Europe. 1982, this book came out by an English author named Adam Nicholson about long walks in, in the United Kingdom. And in 85, he followed with long walks in France. And so then I got onto this hiking in Europe concept. Mm. And here's the big difference, and you know this. You hike in the United States, and of course the great tracts of wilderness just invite hikers, but you carry it all in. And then, and you know, water, food, all the essentials, you gotta carry it on your back. Well, in Europe, you go through the villages, and so you can replenish. You don't have to pack for a week's outing. You pack for the next day, for the next half a day. You just see on the maps where your next village is gonna be, what kind of accommodations they have, and away you go. And uh, I got onto that, and so then in 82, I went back to England. That was my first summer at Burroughs, in fact. <clears throat> and I went back to England and hiked uh, three of their national trails. They got a great network of national trails That's in great. the United Kingdom. And um, then in 85, I went to France with very limited knowledge of the language, but and I fell in love with backpacking in France. They've got uh, the Grand Rondonais, they call them, and it's a great network of uh, farm, farm lanes, really, is what they connect. <laughs> Uh, through all areas of France. And uh, so I went to uh, Europe throughout my Burroughs career. Uh, if not every summer, every other summer, I'd wow. take, yeah. I would do college tours. I, as I was a college counselor, I would go out. And, so some summers I would stay at home and do uh, college counseling work, or I painted my house a couple of times through the summers. But uh, that's fun in a St. Louis summer. <laughs> oh boy, sweltering. <laughs> Nonetheless, uh, yeah, Europe provided a way because, you know, in the Ozarks, and it's still, and I want to talk about the Ozark Trail, obviously, but um, you can't hike there in the summer. I don't. Oh, yeah. I mean, the bugs and the humidity and the foliage, and I'm really sensitive to poison ivy, and so, no. Yeah, I'm a almost strictly 
spring, winter, fall yeah. backpacker. And quite frankly, I prefer the winter yeah. uh, to just about everything else. Uh, it's much more comfortable. You're not sweating. You're yep. not dealing with snakes and bugs. Yep. Uh, all kinds of things like that. Yep. Um, quite frankly, there's a lot less people out there. Uh, I'll tell you coming up about a little trip that I'm, I'm hoping to do in the next okay. year or two. Um, but it was interesting to hear you talk about backpacking through Europe because yeah. uh, I'm, I don't know if you're from, do you remember Corey Eisenstein sure. or his little brother? Absolutely. So, Michael. yeah. So his little brother uh, spent a semester in college in Portugal uh-huh. and when he was there did a bunch of hiking and working around and discovered a bunch of trails in Portugal that he found were really not very utilized uh-huh. and kind of some old fishing trails down to the coast yep. so he just started putting out some ads to say hey I'll take you on a hike wow. and he so is, he was guiding tours he is now to this day the number one rated TripAdvisor hiking guide in, I think, all of Portugal. Wow. Yeah, it's a really kind of weird, strange little niche that he found, and he does it through a certain season of the year. He takes three or four months off a year and just travels. So he and Corey went and spent some time in Portugal, and then they went to Nepal and did a bunch of hiking through the Himalayas. Uh-huh. And what the reason I bring that up is that what I was like – you know, how do you even go up the, like snow suits and crazy everything? And he was like, well, no, man, because in the summer, it's not like that. And what you're doing is very similar to what you said. He goes, every little village has yeah. these little tea huts, these little yeah. tea houses. And for $2, $3, you'll get kind of a, a cot with, you know, a place to sleep and maybe a bowl of rice and some vegetables and, you know, some, some warm water to bathe with and, uh, you know, a, a nice great place to sleep for the night and it'll cost you three dollars and he goes so we backpacked for like 12 or 13 days and never carried more than like a day pack worth of stuff you're basically carrying your sleeping bag you've got your coat on and everything else is pretty much frivolous and i was like what a way to go that sounds brilliant yeah so yeah it's it's really cool that that he got the opportunity to do that and definitely I never would have, without hearing him say that, gone, yeah, I'm going to go backpacking in the Himalayas. But now yeah. I'm sitting there going, like, maybe I should plan a trip to the Himalayas. That'd be fun. Absolutely. So, yeah, that's that's the whole fun of doing stuff like this. Yeah. So, yeah. with the Ozark Trail, what kind of experience have you done there? Uh, I've, um, I keep going back and, and, and redoing sections that I've done. I, mm-hmm. I actually have a winter hike now and this is all predicated on when we got our breaks winter sure. break and so i was often gone over christmas wow. from my home here and my wife would give me her blessing she'd take me down there and drop me off and then pick me up 100 miles further down the trail she knows all the places where i go now uh, and this would be solo and it'd be time particularly with college counseling i was nate's college counselor i know i wasn't yours but you know that scene and and how crazy that gets and around december particularly uh boy i just needed time away and time alone and the ozarks provided that and they still do yeah and so uh but like you say not only just with winter and spring break so each of those from the burroughs calendar i devoted to solo hikes on the ozark trail and I still do it, but I'm semi-retired now. I go back to Burroughs occasionally for subbing, but I still go pretty much at the same breaks, at the winter break and spring break, just because of the climate. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now, when you do 100 miles, about how long does that normally take you? Uh, it Okay, in the winter, that's going to take about 12 days, and uh, yeah, in the spring, it takes... 
little over a week. And, gotcha. and that's all daylight sure. predicated. Gotcha. And so that's why I've designed these hikes. You know, I know where my campsites are. I know where the water sources are. And so I, there's no real adventure in it. It's just solitude because I've done these stretches for so many years in succession that I know what to expect. Yeah. What changes are the, are the creeks and the streams and the rivers. They're always in flux yeah. because of the flash floods that go through and everything. But the rest of it, I can pretty much anticipate what I'm going to find at my campsite. And it's usually pretty close to being the same as it was the previous year, et cetera. But um, yeah, that's my uh, safety valve. That's where I go for solitude and silence. It's what you were talking about in your yeah. float trip. Yeah. Uh, and it just sorts things out for you and you just relax in a way that you've never relaxed which is kind of paradoxical too because during the day you're working your butt off you know what kind of work that is and yeah. it's interesting to me that you as an athlete and i never was but you know you went through all of those drills and all of that exercise to tone yourself up that's a lot of sweat and hard work but I want to ask you this, AJ. Don't you think that backpacking is really rigorous work? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I always, the, and that's the big, it was an interesting kind of um, uh, journey that I went through when I first started getting back into backpacking because I got really into the difficulty of it. I got, I embraced the fact yeah. and that I could hike for a long distance and I could handle elevation and I could yeah. do those challenging things and I could, you know, build a great fire at night with a lot of without yeah. a lot of effort and all those things and it was very yep. physically demanding and the, the carrying of the weight and just slinging that pack up off the ground yeah. every time you have to do that after yeah. a break <laughs> it's just rough. that feeling right yeah. and so what I started to really do was I started to look down on just about every other form of camping I mm -hmm. started to go, oh, well, car camping, that's not camping. really camping. I mean, yeah. you, you have a cooler beer and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, exactly. And I started to stop appreciating it. And then all of a sudden, I had a couple of opportunities where it kinda ha I didn't have a choice. And I went and I was like, oh, this is great, too. Uh -huh. I still get to be outside, Absolutely. which is ultimately what I was trying to do. And it's just a different format. So yeah. quit trashing on all these other formats. Exactly. But yeah, yeah, backpacking in itself... I have friends that want to get into it and yeah. I always tell them I have two backpacks I have two hammocks I have a tent I have all these things that you need if you have a pair of shoes that you feel comfortable in and a warm coat I got everything else you need but recognize when you get back on Sunday, you're probably going to be more tired yeah. than when you left work on Friday. Yeah. It's not fun yeah. all the time. Yeah. The experience itself is incredibly rewarding. Yeah. And there are moments throughout the day where you just have these smiles on your face Absolutely. that you can't replace Absolutely. with almost anything else. But a lot of it. Yeah. is just left foot, right foot, Absolutely. left foot, and it's hard, and you're, you're managed. The big thing for me is managing layers, uh -huh. uh, especially in the winter. I get uh -huh. hot easy. I get cool easy. Yeah. I'm constantly yeah. playing that game of on, off, jacket, gloves, hat, mm -hmm. buff thing on my neck. So, yeah, it's it's not fun most of the time. Yeah. It's, weird. it's a weird hobby. No, I know. There's a lot of drudgery involved. Yeah. Yeah. You weren't there for Mr. Barhorst, were you? Were no. At all. No. Yeah. He was the outdoor ed uh, leader, and I went with him on various uh, spring break trips. Oh, cool. And I would be the one to lead the, the backpacking. And then he was great in a canoe. He was a, a tremendous floater. And uh, so he would take him canoeing, 
and then I would take them backpacking. Oh, that's great. We'd switch off that way. But you know, those groups, and I, I came so that I didn't really want to lead groups because I think, as you were saying, you know, what some people think, they see themselves by the fire and, oh, you know, out of doors and it's so nice. Well, if there's a sideways rain coming in and if it's, you know, 45 degrees and it's not fun, it's no. drudgery. Yeah. It is sheer drudgery and you, th and you, there's a part of it, I think, you know, my wife's joke is Bob likes to suffer. And I think there's some truth in that. <laughs> in the backpack is kind of a penance pack, you yeah, know. Sure, <laughs> you sure. know. And so, but you you march on, and uh, at the end of the day, then you feel and, and there's that great exultation at the end of the day when your camp's up and you're in your tent after a really cold, wet day, and you're in your bag and it's dry, and you think, oh, this is heaven. Yeah, this is just heaven. Yeah, and. Uh, and then, of course, there are those picture postcard moments, too. And by the fires at night, if you can do it, and if it's not raining and everything, it's great. But here's the thing. I want people, I don't, and this is why I often go alone or with a tested hiker. I don't want someone complaining. Yeah. Oh, this isn't what I expected, you know. Oh, it's too cold. Oh, this rain. Nope, that's part of the package. Yeah. You know, if you go out there, you expect whatever's going to be thrown at you. Uh, I had a friend that I met hiking in England, actually. He came over for December, my December hike on the Ozark Trail. And I don't know if you remember, but it hit right at Christmas time. There were mm. sub-zero temperatures. Yeah. Oh, we yeah. actually had to come out. We were out for five nights, and we were going to be out for 10, and we had to cut it in sure. half. It does get to a point. I mean, we woke up this morning. It was zero, this one morning. It was zero degrees, and it was going to get colder. Mm -hmm. The front had just come in. Well, you can't. That's stupid. I spent a night atop Bell Mountain. Uh, I yeah. had a video about it, yeah. and, and it got down to negative four that night. Oh. And I was in a hammock, oh. and which is my preferred method okay. of, of camping outside. Yeah. I really like hammocking. And yeah. uh, my quilts, the way that hammocks work, I don't know if you've spent a lot of time or played around with them. I have I'd, lo I'd love to show you one sometime. Sure. But essentially, a normal sleeping bag doesn't work in a hammock because all the insulation underneath you pressed up against the hammock, and then having an open hammock bottom creates convection cooling and in 70 degree weather if you're laying in a hammock you'll get chilly underneath your buddy yeah, under, under I, your bum I so um i have a quilt that hangs underneath my my hammock oh. so me hammock quilt underneath mm -hmm. and then i have another one that goes in the hammock but it doesn't have a bottom so it's just a top quilt with like a foot box mm -hmm. and um my quilts are designed to go to 20 degrees and the manufacturer says you're good to about 23 24 degrees 19 you're going to be real uncomfortable and i kind of went okay that's fine i'm a tough guy and on top of that i have great insulation clothes i have the best sure. smart wool long johns i'll be fine yeah. and we went out and i met four or five guys from this hammock forums group that i'm a part of there's this great online community of hammock campers cool. 22,000 people on facebook oh in this group it's who crazy knew? yeah who knew right uh and there's about six or five, six other guys that came and met up with me for this group trip that we, and it's purposefully called a frozen butt hang, right? It's designed <laughs> to see who can get out there in the coldest. Oh, and so we're out there and at about 6.30 at night, the sun goes down, it's like December 1st or, so, or January 1st. 
and we cold. all decide, well, it's getting pretty cold. There's that not really much cold. else to do. Let's head back to our hammocks. And at that point, it's probably in the 20s. And I get down in my hammock. I'm feeling good. I wake up one time throughout the night to pee. I get up. I do my business. I get back in. I get warm again. I wake up and I'm fully rested. And I'm sitting there going, oh my God, I made it. I got through the night. Mm-hmm. I slept warm. My, I'm, I got it. I can do this. And I looked at my watch and my watch said 11.45 p.m. Uh, and I went, oh no. I've got a night to get And through. I knew at that moment that I was getting cold. Yep. Like I could, I started to feel it underneath me yep. and just went, I'm going to lay here for the next seven hours cold. Yeah. And it it's wasn't, it wasn't unbearable. It was just cold enough to not get back to sleep, which made it almost unbearable because you're just sitting there Mm -hmm. staring at the underside of your tarp Mm -hmm. going, what am I supposed to do? I didn't have a phone with me. I didn't have any, I had no book. Mm -hmm. I didn't have anything to occupy my time, Mm -hmm. but the thought of your butt's cold. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I just sat there and wore it. And I left that day going, okay, you either need to change your equipment or stop coming out here when it's that stupid cold outside. And it it really made me realize I love cold weather camping. Yeah. But at the point where you can't even take your gloves off to light your lighter to make your fire in the morning. That's right. uh, It's kind of loses its gusto. Absolutely. So, and and to your point earlier, when I used to train for football, Well, my mentality whenever I was in the weight room or whenever I was on the track or whenever we were at practice, I always used to think to myself, I would always try to go early in the morning so I could think to myself, well, Gerard, the other running back in our team's not doing it this early. I'm going to start because that yeah. guy's not working as hard as yeah. I am. Or when I was in UND, you know, I would think yeah. the same thing. Always training, thinking the other guy's not working this hard, either on yeah. my team or on the other team. And when I got into backpacking, I immediately developed this mentality of, I want to be able to be comfortable where other people can't. Yep. Sideways rain, terrible yep. weather. Yep. And my girlfriend and I went on a backpacking trip to Rocky Mountain National Park last mm-hmm. October. Sunny Colorado, mm-hmm. you know, Sunshine State. 300 days of sunshine a year. Mm-hmm. Well, we caught one of those other 65. Mm-hmm. And we showed up. The weather forecast the whole week leading up was beautiful and gorgeous. Highs in the 70s, lows in the upper 40s. It's going to be a perfect week of camping. And we got hit with everything that Colorado had. We had terrible rain. We had sideways rain. We had sleet. We had snow. We had one good day of sunshine and the rest of it just poured. And towards the end of it, I was not happy, but I was okay. My girlfriend was defeated. It just took everything out of her. And she had gotten altitude sickness and she had flown in the day before and I had been there for some time. So it was fine. And what I learned out of that trip was that we survived Mm -hmm. and it can really not get that much worse. I'm sure it could if we went really somewhere terrible, but (laughs) I was sitting there saying to Sarah, but now when that kind of stuff shows up on the forecast, we can go, well, we've done that. So that's fine. We'll, we'll get through it. Uh And it makes all of our future camping escapades a lot more fun because Mm -hmm. I know we'll make it. We'll be fine. Yeah, we did that. It'll be better than that. So it's, Getting those lessons, obviously those life lessons are really valuable in the outdoors. It's true, they uh, are. But yeah, you, you learn those things real quick. Yeah. But then again, back to this cold snap we had uh, at the end of last year. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
you were at the advantage and smart, I think, in a way that you had your hammock. You know, uh, he and I had tents and our separate tents, and you know the collapsible aluminum poles with uh, the high tension cord, sure. all of that. Well, those things freeze up. <sighs> You know, uh, and you have to breathe because of your condensation within the tent. As mm -hmm. much as you try to air, and I do, I keep my doors open and everything, and you're still, still going to get some condensation. Yeah, They freeze. you got to rub them to get them thawed so that you can bend them and pack your tent. But through that whole process, uh, you know, they're your hands. And Oh, yeah. Our hands were, were numb for a week. They were tingly, the fingers, you know. And so this is like frost nip, yeah, they call yeah, it. Yeah. And uh, so again, as much as you learn from these bad weather experiences, and they're, they're really important in, in your whole mindset of what it takes to be out there and to be smart about being out there and yeah. learning from what you've been through and applying that to the moment. It's all very critical. But then there comes a time too when you realize, you know what, I'm not gonna go out in zero degree temperatures anymore. Like you say, if you have the equipment, sure, you can do it. What are sure. the people who like Everest or any high mountain? They have the equipment, they're out in those temperatures. But I don't have the equipment, I'm not gonna get it, and I'm not gonna do it anymore. So. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's that there's that line of, you know, where does it stop becoming fun yeah. and just start becoming a challenge? Yeah. And, you know, for me, it's it's to get away. It's to have some fun. It's to put a smile on my face. Yeah. Yes, I want to be you know challenged throughout the, the course of the day. And I want to see some things that I wasn't expecting. Yeah. Uh, and I want to have some things go wrong on occasion. But for the most part, I'm looking to have a good time. Yeah. And Absolutely. so, you know, I'm Same not trying here. to crush mileage or anything nope. like that. Not so. at all. And so, yeah, it, I think I can really see where <laughs> your girlfriend was defeated because you can go through a day of crap. And if you get the next day, then, okay, you know, that's behind you. And you're thinking, okay, here we go. But if you do that in succession, if you go through crappy day after crappy day and the conditions are just miserable, you're thinking, no, this is no longer any fun. I really don't want to be out here. You can go through spirit. So I guess my point is you can go through periods of misery as long as you get a little reward at the end, the sun breaking on after a day of rain, you know, and you're in your tent, you're in your camp. I'm sure you've had that moment. And then right towards sunset, you know, there's the sun breaking. The West is starting to clear. You know, you got a good day coming up tomorrow. Yeah. Those kind of feelings. I, then you just put that miserable day behind you and it's no big deal then yeah. as long as you didn't get hurt or hypothermic or anything like that yeah. yeah now when you go out on the trail do you bring a camera with you do you bring what do you bring with you when i used you go? to take a lot of pictures i don't take that many pictures anymore uh and there's no philosophical reason behind it i just i just Maybe there is. I think it's maybe just with age, I'm more in the moment and not trying to freeze frame that moment. Even having said that, I'm so glad that in my younger days, I used to take a lot of pictures. And so I got all these pictures from Europe. That's why I was wondering if I gave a presentation because I, back in the day, it was slides. And yeah. so I'd give slideshows. Uh, and now I've got digital pictures too, but I'm not taking a whole lot of pictures anymore. Um, the friend that I went on, uh, I just went hiking in England, as I said, and there were two national trails. One back on that southwest coastal path, a, a section I hadn't done before. And then the other, uh, 
the, both of these were in southern England, one called the South Downs Way that uh, went from Winchester, uh, England, down to a town called Eastbourne, 100 miles. Anyway, um, through those hikes, he had his smartphone, and he took and posted all these pictures. And I was glad for it. But I kind of let him do it, and I just, I'm not going to, I'm just going to enjoy, and there were great scenes. There was, for two, two and a half weeks, not a drop of rain, and you probably know Europe's going through a heat spell yeah. and a drought, and everything's burned up in England. It was ridiculous, 100 degree temperatures. But uh, he took all the pictures, and there were glorious pictures along the coast and everything, But and I was glad for him, but... I was also glad not to be, oh, I got to get this shot. Oh, I got to get that shot. So maybe there is more philosophy to it than what I earlier suggested. I, because you get in a rhythm, you get in a flow, and you just take it in, and it comes and goes through you. And I don't feel the compulsion to have to try to save it and preserve it and get it in this image and the right shot at the right time and all of that. Because that can be a little manic and it can start to interrupt your rhythm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I mean, I think, you know, one of the things that I really kind of am grateful about the adversity that we've gone through in our backpacking, our mm -hmm. short backpacking journey so far. And I'm really thankful to my girlfriend because I did a lot of local backpacking which there's a lot of great stuff to do in Missouri and there's some great stuff in Illinois and kind of around, but I had hesitated to go out to Colorado or to California, do bigger national parks, things like that. And, and Sarah has really pushed me to do more good. of that stuff. We're doing a national park a year and we've done some good That's stuff. That's great. And what quite frankly, I believe is that I, we just went to Colorado and the only stuff that really sticks with me are the things that didn't go right versus the things that did. Um, when we went to Yosemite, one of the things that I have a beef with, especially being a communications professional, and maybe it's just because I'm impatient and uh, borderline millennial, um, but the the dissemination of information from national parks for backpackers to know what it is that you're supposed to do, how to get your permits, where you need permits, yeah. where you don't, yeah. is awful in yeah. my opinion they yep. do a very terrible job and i'm not criticizing them i know that they're understaffed and underfunded and that's not their job mm -hmm. i get it i also know when we went to yosemite they have about five million visitors a year about seventy thousand of them are backpackers so we're like 1.3 percent and we probably generate the least amount of revenue True. of anybody in the park because True. we don't really consume much yep. um so I also understand that we're very low on their priority list, but we called ahead of time. We talked to a ranger. We said, hey, this is our plan. We want to do this. We want yeah. to stay here. And the guy goes, oh, yeah, man, that sounds great. Here's your permit. We got out there. We showed up to the wilderness office to get our permits and do what we needed to do. And they go, so where are you going? And we told them. And they go, yeah, you can't do any of that. What? And we went, what? And they went, well, yeah, none of the places you're planning on camping are in the wilderness area. And we went, where is the wilderness area? And they pulled out a map, and if you get a National Geographic yellow, beautiful, normal trail map like yeah. they sell at every store in the world, right. which we had neglected to get, okay. problem number one on our part, okay. um, you will see these very clearly marked purple areas that say wilderness area. Uh -huh. But there is not one map on the entire Yosemite Park website that reflects that same area That's and so what you don't realize and they, they just don't do and it, again 
I understand their yeah. tax, so mm-hmm. this is not me criticizing them. Yeah. But it's just a problem. Is they just say you can you don't have to reserve a campsite anywhere. You can sleep anywhere in the wilderness in area. The wilderness, yeah. And so you just assume oh, okay, as long as I'm not in the campsites, that's right. the wilderness. The, right. the big trees, and that's wilderness to me. So we'll just go out to the wilderness. Great, we'll just hike off the trail like 60, <laughs> 80 yards, and we'll be in the wilderness. <laughs> Fine. And again, this is ignorance on our part, but it could be so easy to just say, oh yeah, by the way, if you upload a color map instead of a black and white one, it will lead, and there were bunches of other people in the office having the same problem we were that were saying oh we camped here and they went no you can't do that we're gonna have to if you do that again we're gonna have to kick you out no well we don't have anywhere else to go yeah and they went well i sorry leave and it's there were so many people that were having problems with how do you get a permit for this and where do i stay there and you know people that were unprepared and it was just it was one of those things where i wasn't mad i was just sitting there going oh this could be so much better yeah this could be so clear and easy but it's gonna take somebody that has budget and time and resources to go through and revamp it all and readjust it. It's just when you, when you're used to going from Rocky mountain where you have to reserve every campsite per night yep. and then they go and you know, somebody, well, you can just sleep anywhere you want. Yeah. You go, Oh, cool. Great. As long as it's the wilderness just, yeah, area, exactly. which you, they, they do a you very poor job yeah. of showing you. Yeah. So it was, uh, it was an interesting experience, but once we went through the adversity and they were like, okay, well, you could do this instead or try mm-hmm. that. We ended up going to see a bunch of other parts of the park that we never would have gone to because we had to. Yeah. Uh, we had a very small trip planned. We probably ended up doing double the trip that we would have originally. Uh-huh. And it pushed us beyond our comfort zone a couple times. Yep. But it ultimately made for a much, much better trip. Sure. Um, and then we kind of ran into some of the same stuff in Rocky Mountain this last time when we went just a few weeks ago. We had done Bear Lake to all the way up to like Fern Lake and Odessa and some stuff kind of in this one loop near Bear Lake, which is a very popular area in Rocky Mountain. popular area, yep. And there's another loop that goes from Bear Lake to Dream Lake and Emerald Lake, and there's kind of a shorter three and a half mile loop. We did about a 17, 20 mile loop over four days. And so we were going to do this smaller day hike, one quick stop. Well, we got there at 11 o'clock in the morning. All the parking spots are taken. They wouldn't even let us drive up to that part of the park go find something else Ugh. but had no suggestions Ugh. and you have thousands of people coming oh, in wow. trying to figure that out yes. and what it did is it made us go somewhere else and now all of a sudden we've seen two other trails that we uh-huh. really like that we uh-huh. want to explore uh-huh. so sometimes those things going wrong off plans make you go see places that are good for you that yep. you wouldn't have seen otherwise so yep. sometimes those are good things that's true absolutely so uh, where, where are some of the big places that you've wanted to go that either you haven't been able to yet or you would love to sometime in the future? Oh, boy. Um, often, I always wanted to go to Corsica. I, I fell in love with those French trails, and uh, they've, got, uh, some, they've got a famous one in Corsica that goes from tip to tip to the island. I don't think I'll be able to do that anymore, AJ. I, I think it's just too demanding and... Uh, it's really hot too in Corsica. I, you know, I could probably go in March and do it if if I could get up those mountains and everything. That's one. There was a hike that I started in 1987. Uh, it's called the JRDs or the GR10 uh, that goes from <clears throat> the Atlantic Ocean to the Mediterranean across the Pyrenees, wow. and you're in the High Pyrenees. 
and uh, I did a third of that in 1987. I absolutely loved it. I thought it was the, the Pays Basque region of France, and then up there in the Pyrenees, it was some of the prettiest country I've ever been in anywhere in the world. And I thought, okay, I'm coming back to finish this and make it to the Mediterranean then across the southern border of France and Spain. You go in and out of Spain all the time. It just kind of zigzags in the mountains. Sometimes you don't know where you are. You're, yeah. you're up in a mountain. But uh, I often want to go back and do that. And, and I probably won't get that done now. But um, I'm thankful for the, for the hikes that I have done. I got in a series of summers uh, where I just went back to France all the time. And I, uh, I connected these... Um, you may have heard of the Camino that goes to, to Compostela, Spain. Mm -hmm. It's a pilgrimage route, and many people pick it up in uh, Saint-Jean-Pied-de-Port, right on the border of France and Spain. They go through the lower Pyrenees and get into Spain and go through Pamplona and then on eastward to Compostela. Well, all of these little, no, they're not little, all of the trails that come down through France, there are about six of them. I've done five of them, one that started in Belgium, one that started in Geneva, Switzerland, uh, one that started up in Alsace. Um, anyway, I've hiked the length and the width of France at various times. And uh, so I'm just appreciative that I've done those hikes. And uh, my hiking buddy from England, I was just with him again, and he, uh, in June, hiked then from Saint-Jean-Pied-de-Port then to Compostela and on to Finisterre, which is at the ocean, at the Atlantic, and he loved it. It's a big popular route now, uh, and for those who are involved in just backpacking and a lot of people who go as religious pilgrims, uh, which I wouldn't be, but I've thought about doing that. But um, I think, you know, as far as ticking things off the list, I'm not into that so much anymore. What I look forward to the most, honestly, AJ is getting back to the Ozark Trail and the solitude that I find there and the familiar campsites. And, uh, you know, again, talk about getting into a rhythm where you just uh, let the mind go and you, you start to release the ego and everything and you're just in that place. And my favorite place to be in is uh, the Ozarks, or are the Ozarks and, and on the Ozark Trail. And again, places where I've gone and repeatedly, but that's what I like. It's good to hear somebody else talk about the ego component because yeah. uh, I've talked about this before, but I have a tendency, uh, probably to no surprise, I can get a <laughs> bit of a puffy chest uh, with a few small victories in either personal or professional life, uh -huh. and all of a sudden I start to feel like I'm a little bit more important than I probably uh -huh. am. And um, St. Louis, it, it there's things that are great and there's things that are bad about St. Louis. One of the things that's interesting about St. Louis is to me, it's the smallest big city in America. Uh, yeah, and yeah. if you form a couple of the right relationships and do a couple of the right things, all of a sudden you can feel like you practically run things. Mm -hmm. And it is absolutely, as you said, one of the easiest ways to beat that ego out of yourself mm -hmm. is to go out and spend a few days on the trail mm -hmm. and realize, you know, I, I've talked about this, but I did a, so my first solo backpacking trip was just an overnighter, eight or 10, 12 mile loop. Uh, and it was like eight miles on the first day, kind of a weird spur trail and then back out in like two or three miles in the second. And from the campsite, you could hear 
cars and you could hear maybe even the parking lot where you were hiking out to. And I got into this campsite and it was just a really kind of rugged, beat up, just clearing in the trees. And I set up my hammock and I was sitting there and I was looking around and, you know, with a hammock, you've got a pretty open view. I had my tarp up in porch mode and I was just kind of sitting there and it just struck me. I was like, I'm 100% on my own. If a person or a bear or a mountain lion or raccoon comes, it's just me and them. And... I'm not a big person of like, you need to carry firearms. I'm not a big self-defense person in the woods. Most people that are out there are good people in my experience. If you're willing to carry that much weight in the woods, you're probably not, not a weirdo. Um, so anyway, I was out there and it just, but that realization like washed over me. Uh You are 100% responsible for yourself and everything that happens to you. And if you do freak out and you want to get out of here, you're going to have to put your pack on, put your feet on the ground and start walking. Mm -hmm. And that was a very humbling moment. And it was a good humble. And it was one of those things where as I've gone out into these bigger landscapes, I go, wow, I'm really small. And that's a very important realization to have. Yep. It's, it takes one wrong step, oh, yeah. one wrong foot, yep. and all of a sudden some bad things. And it's not to be pessimistic about the no, world. It's no, not it's to say... realistic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's it's been a very important lesson for me to learn along the way. Yeah. Is yeah. that ego humbling moment uh, through every trip that you see. Yeah. That's, that's always exciting. So when it comes to your setup, what do you normally take with you when you go out into the woods? Uh, wine. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good honest answer. Are you a white or a red wine drinker? Uh, uh, red, probably. Okay. Uh, white in winter, but I like Beaujolais because you can, you can drink that cool and that's it's fine. That's a good fine. porch wine. I like yeah, Beaujolais. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. Nothing too fancy and it can be cool and you're just fine with yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. But, Anyway, that's an indulgence. That's okay. a luxury that I take. Uh, but I, I try to have have it so that I have a cup or two every night. And do you do that with a flask? A flask. You, okay, cool. Yeah, One I, of the I kind of soft-sided flasks? It, well, yeah, here's the thing. They're actually putting them wine and aluminum cans now and everything. Yeah, they are. Yeah. I've got one on my countertop yeah. at home waiting to for that exact purpose. I, I bought Excellent. it so I could try it to see if it would be worthy to take it Absolutely. out of Absolutely. I'm going to try that come, come December. Absolutely. So, uh, But no, no bottles. But um, the other thing that I do on the, because when I go out to those Ozark Trail, I'll keep coming back to this because it's my favorite uh, backpacking right now is the Ozark Trail. Um, I'm out there in the winter for 10 days and in the spring for 13 days. And so I'm not carrying all my food. I'm caching food. Sure. And so what I do is I um, have styrofoam boxes and I have to burn the styrofoam. I'm sorry to say guilty on that, but I've got to get rid of that stuff. But it's stuff I can burn for the packaging and uh, then I get all my food in there, and I have stops then along the way going down then uh, to my drop-off. My wife will, she again, she knows all these places sure. to go, and so we go, and then I go down into the woods with my box or boxes and then cash those and then cover them up and everything. Only once as a rodent mm-hmm. got into it, and that was my mistake. I had some cheese that wasn't well-wrapped, but... Um, so that I do, make sure that I get my food so I have these cash stops along the way so that I can sustain a mm-hmm. two-week hike. And um, so it, it's that, and um, 
I've got two sleeping bags, one a winter, and so in the December I, I carry my heavy sleeping bag and in the spring a lighter one. And so, again, I'm not a really strict minimalist, but I keep, you know, I try to keep the pack as light as it possibly can be. And are you, are you cooking food. food on the trail? Yeah, I am. Are you doing mainly dehydrated meals? I do some dehydrated. Here's the other thing. I'll uh, freeze like chili or uh, chicken soup or beef stew or something like that and put it in a little pint container uh, 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 that half and half came in, for example. Sure. So uh, I clear out that container and get it all clean and then open it up and then put my uh, stew or soup in there, freeze it, and then keep it frozen. And that's why I put it in the styrofoam. Sure, so that kind of acts as ice. Yeah, and in December, I'm very good with doing that because it'll pretty much stay frozen. And in March, I can only do that, you know, like for three or four nights. And Mm -hmm. then I have to convert to dehydrated because then they all melt and you can't let them spoil. But that's extra weight though, too. There's water in that already, but it's frozen. But it's nice to come into camp and just, all you have to do is build your fire and heat it up. Right, yeah, right. And how are, what kind of cooking are you, are you cooking directly on fires? I'm cooking directly on fire. I don't bring, I don't bring a stove. Oh, wow. Yeah, I know. And I'm a little uh, peculiar in that. Uh, I don't get coffee in the morning, but what I do, what you have right here, that double shot espresso, I yeah. take I take those too, because you can crush the aluminum and I, I take two of those for every morning and uh, get, the, get my coffee start that sure. way. But um, no, at night, and I've really only been stung a few times where yeah. I couldn't get a fire going at night, uh, but I'll get a fire going and then just off to the side, put my pot, and then have my stew, you know, just warm up. I don't sure. have to cook it. Sure. Just warm it because sure. it's already been cooked. And so I, I like that too. But again, there, the, it can be inconvenient. Like I said, I've only been stung a couple of times where I haven't been able to have an evening meal. But then you got like your crackers and beef jerky yeah. and that other stuff you can how, go to. How, how far out are you spreading your caches? How many caches are you doing in like a 10-day span? Yeah, two. Two caches, uh-huh. gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. So, so you'll do two resupplies throughout yeah, the trip. So about yeah. every three days. Yeah. And so then my, again, the weight isn't unbearable. Yeah. Because, yeah. If you spread it out like that. And so, uh, yeah, that works. Like I said, uh, you know, going down to the Ozarks, I've done it so often. And then the same stretches of trails that it's, uh, uh, it's almost automatic anymore. You know, the big unknown, obviously, is the weather. Like I said, I had to come in with my friend from England in December. But otherwise, that's there was one other time when I had to call my wife. Uh, it was a storm that hit. And here's the here's the thing, and you probably know this too, AJ, those creek crossings. On the Ozark Trails, if they can't build bridges because they'll get wiped out in flash floods. Right. So you have to ford the creeks. And if there's a prolonged rain, and this rain was like a 64 hour rain event and it was 06 and i had to call my wife because the creeks were i Unpassable. you die yeah. you die if you try to cross that creek you'd be yeah. washed away and really that's always the trickiest part in, in the ozarks are the creek crossings and uh, i kind of worry about them uh, but i've never i've never been swept away obviously um you remember mr hansen eric yeah, hansen of course, of course. Another avid hiker, and I remember talking to him. There's a uh, cro- there's a crossing at a place called Klepsig Mill on the Ozark Trail uh, at Rocky Creek, and it's a tough one. And I said, Eric, what do I do? You know, I, 
it's every year I just read this crossing and, and the footing is so tricky and everything. And he said, well, you have hiking poles, don't you? I said, no, I don't. I said, oh, well, yeah. You okay? Yeah. First things first. <laughs> get your get your hiking poles. Yeah, that's a and, given. Yeah, for those creek crossings, particularly. You yeah. Need them. So yeah. they're they're helpful. Yeah, I uh, I started doing hiking poles. Oh gosh, many years ago, and uh, was, I split a set with somebody, and basically I had one, and they had one, and you know we just each had one, and I was like, man, this would be really nice to have two, and then all of a sudden when you have two, it's just. I have a hard time thinking about hiking without them now just because of how much more stable you are in so many scenarios when you're going over things, when you're going under things, when you're having to stabilize yourself going sideways. There's so many different places. And if they're really bothering you, put them on your pack and walk away. And you can buy, you know, I found a cheap set for my girlfriend who didn't really want them Uh on Amazon. They're carbon fiber. They're like 50 bucks and they're super light cork candles. They're not the most durable thing in the world, but for what we do, they're perfect. Perfect. So it's, yeah, if, if you're struggling with anything like that, hundred percent, definitely start with hiking poles as a, as a good alternative. Yeah, for sure. You can become a quadruped too. You can use your arms to move forward. Big time. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one of the things that I try when anybody is first using them yep. I always try to almost exaggerate the fact that my hands are staying in front of the tip yep. almost at all times and I'm yep. pushing driving forward there as you I go. go Yeah. and I was with uh, I was on a group trip with more hammock guys I don't know probably a year and a half ago and there's a guy named Gideon who's a big hammock forums guy here in St. Louis and around Missouri. And, and he and I were on this trip kind of running it. And at one point we got separated from the group and he's got poles and we both, we both had poles and we just started kind of silently pushing each other. I would get going a little bit faster and then I'd feel him on my tail. So I'd kind of get going a little bit and I'd feel him again. And all of a sudden he looked, you know, we kind of covered a lot of ground and we stopped to wait for everybody else. And he goes, do you know how fast we were just going? And I was like, I mean, I know we were covering ground. He goes, dude, we were going like 4.3 miles an hour. That's a good clip. And we were really chugging along. And he was like, we just covered like two miles real quick. Yeah. And it was, had we not had the poles, my legs aren't long enough to reach out like that. So it, it makes a serious advantage. And I love them going downhills too. Just being able to put them out in front of you and get a little bit of an extra point. You're not putting so much pressure on your knee when you come down. That's huge. Absolutely. Well, I'm glad to hear that you're into them because I think they're essential now for me. They are certainly. Well, and they also provide some advantages in camp, right? I mean, there's a lot of tents out there now kind of what they would call semi-freestanding tents yep. i guess what they are yep. um that are very interesting that require poles yep. and then i also use them in porch mode to hold the tips of my tarp up when i'm in camp that just makes for a better viewing experience sure. they just go right there i've got it all set up it's perfect yep. so yep. the one thing i haven't figured out how to do yet is I try at some times, I go back and forth into your discussion of bringing your phone, taking pictures, things yeah. like that. So I obviously have this podcast, I have a website, I make some videos, and I constantly struggle with, sometimes I love making videos when I'm on the trail, and sometimes yeah. I'm like, oh, I don't want to go walk forward to set up my camera to walk back, to do yep. the walk, and yep. all these things. And one of the things that I have not figured out how to do yet is how to take a camera and mount it on my hiking pole. There's a thing called a stick pick and it goes on the end of the pole. Hmm. It's just a little circle that has a 
quarter inch stick coming out of it that you can screw your camera onto. But the problem is, is that every time you're done with it, you got to pull it off and inevitably the bottom of your pole is going to be dirty or muddy. Sure. So now this thing that's attached to your camera is uh, dirty or muddy and uh, then you got to put that in your pocket, yeah. take it back out, put yeah. it, and you're not going to screw it on every time. No. So I'm looking for some like quick release kind of thing, but nobody makes one. So maybe that's the thing yeah, that I need to do next. Your patent is, yeah, right there. for sure. So yeah. lots of opportunities. Has there been anything so, you know, I was kind of telling you offline that I met these guys, you yeah. know, that told me some really kind yeah. of sage advice. Yeah. Has there been anyone that you've met along the trail or anybody that you've camped with that's kind of given you good advice that you've lived by or that you have benefited from? Well, that, that uh, I would say what Eric, what Mr. Hansen told me about the hiking poles, that was pretty revolutionary. Uh, more than that, I, I would say that the people I've met in, in Europe, because you, you know in, on the Ozark Trail you don't meet anyone, and that's part of the beauty of it. You're, you meet very few, particularly the times of year when we go. But um, maybe, if, maybe not sage advice about camping or that sort of thing. A lot of that has been through experience and trial and error, and I've done a lot of stupid stuff. <laughs> I mean... The first time my friend Steve and I went out uh, camping in 75 or backpacking uh, in the North Cascades, we had some, I think we were taking hot dogs or something to roast over the fire, and we actually took a bottle of ketchup. We, ca we backpacked a bottle of ketchup. I mean, that's just stupid. Yeah, yeah. And you learn from stupid things like that, things you look back on and laugh, but laugh about. One of the things I really like about uh, hikers is that you mentioned this offline too. They're great people. They're they're really not competitive. Yeah. Uh, I used to bicycle a lot, and I'll use this kind of as a contrast. What I found about among bicyclists is that they can be really competitive. They want to check out what kind of equipment you have, what kind of bike you have. They want to they they don't want to be behind you. They want to be in front of yeah. you. There's none of that on the trail. Yeah, it's really a good fraternity of people, and they're all there to help each other. And um, so I think it's more just uh, people at their best is what I've found uh, hiking in Europe or in the United States, but particularly in Europe because, um, again, these paths are well-frequented and um, you go to the pubs at night in England or in Ireland, and I've hiked a lot in Ireland too, and you get back with your group, then you kind of get in stride with these certain people, and then you go to the pub and you talk about your hike that day, and yeah. then you meet them during the day and see you at the pub at night, and it's just a good camaraderie. And that's one of the elements that really also distinguishes hiking in Europe, is that uh, there's a, you socialize a lot more. Uh, and but again, that's one of the things I love about the Ozarks. I don't go out there to socialize. I go out there for solitude. And one more thing about the Ozark Trail, I don't want to harp on it a whole lot, but I think a lot of it's a very well marked trail. It's very well maintained. But a lot of people don't realize that you don't go through towns. You don't mm -hmm. really see houses. It's woods. And um, hiking alone as I do, and I, I no longer have a cell phone even. And the, out there, it's spotty anyway, as you know. But I do have a personal locator be mm. beacon. Do you yeah. have one of those? I don't. So do you have a spot or do you have one of the I have a spot. ones? Gotcha. I have a spot. And uh, it was one of the... It, when it first came on the market, I got it yeah. uh, because that was one of my concerns. You mentioned too, one misstep, yeah. you could fall and 
I've fallen and broken a leg, but that was actually on a hike in England, and there were people around, and I could take care of it, or people could help me take care of it. Mm-hmm. But uh, you fall and you break a leg when you're alone out in the woods in the Ozarks, and it's a different Yeah, thing. yeah. If you're alone, you, I mean, so I took this spot locator, and it's it's nice just as an insurance policy. Yeah, yeah. my parents have one on their sailboat, actually. Do they? Uh, so if they're out in the middle of the, the water and yeah. something starts to go wrong. There you go. They actually have a thing that they just throw in the water, and once it gets wet, it automatically starts triggering all kinds of different things, and it's from the spot company. So Fantastic. it's definitely on my list of things yeah. uh, to acquire. Obviously, backpacking can be a very frugal endeavor, but yep. you can also, if you want to, spend an absolute fortune on gear and uh, I have been one of those guys that is I'm a gear guy Uh I obviously have podcasting stuff and random things like that Um, and one of the things that my friend Brad Fitzgerald said in the last episode which I thought was really profound I asked him I said I normally separate backpacking slash outdoors people into two groups people that really care about gear and people that don't and he goes I'll suggest a third group for you and I was like okay and he goes I'll suggest a group that doesn't care about gear because they go enough to not care. Yeah. And he goes, the people that really care about gear are the people that have too much time in between trips. So they fill it with thinking about the stuff they need to take next time. And I was like, I was like, Oh my God. He goes, trust me, man. If you were going out every other weekend, you will quickly realize that it really doesn't matter what you use. The sleeping bag, as long as it's warm enough and the backpack, as long as it doesn't cause a raw spot. Yeah. The rest of the stuff, make sure you got good boots. But other than that, don't be afraid to go out with some janky budget gear. Go out for the experience and go out more often. You'll figure out what you need and what what you don't. What you need and what works. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And you know, the the gear is so good right now. I have shirts like Patagonia, you know, the Wick shirts that lasted me for years. I mean, they're ancient and they're they're still good. So I'm using them. I just got rid of last year, I got rid of the pair of hiking boots that I wore to that camp Uh in Colorado Uh when I was in seventh grade. So... it's good gear. I, yeah. I mean, it really if, is. If you invest in the good stuff, yeah, I mean, don't go right. to Walmart. And I mean, I'm not saying that you can't get a Coleman sleeping bag and go car camping at Walmart. By all means. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, but if you want to get a good pair of boots or a yeah. decent backpack, yeah. go to a legit store, yeah. spend a little bit of money, or yeah. go for the used stuff. There's some great stuff online and, and in different forums and things like that. So, But yeah, one of the things I, I recognize, and again, this is no one told me, you have to find it out for yourself the boots that are right for you because boots are critical and finally I've got the boots that are right for me and there are things that I have quibbles about with them but I keep going back to that same model of boot because I know that boot fits me and I don't get blisters and I still don't and I'm going into my third pair I need another pair right now but that's fine I'm going to go back to them because they're the ones that have worked for me and I've gone through all kinds of different different types of boots and this is the one so that's critical it's the boot yeah i think is number one well and to me in all the things that you wear fit is so much more important yep. than brand yeah uh there's so many good brands columbia patagonia marmot yep. north yep. face all of them there's even some budget brands that are great stuff just make sure it fits you well Absolutely. if it does if it's uncomfortable to zip up through yep. the middle or if the sleeves are too long or too short find something different that may not be as name brand fun but trust me fits 
fits you better. It'll feel better on the trail, I Absolutely. promise. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. Anything yep. else that you want to share? Uh, boy, uh, one thing I'll say, you know, it sounds like, you know, I'm able to go out in the summer, and I have been able to go out in the summer, um, as I have. My wife and I married in 1983, and uh, before we got married, we had what I think is a really important discussion, and that, first of all, do, do we want kids? And I was 50-50, and she was more like 70-30 not to have kids. And uh, I said, okay, I, I, that's fine with me, but I'll tell you this, uh, uh, by 83, I was going to Europe and for these summer hikes. I said, uh, I'm fine with not having kids, but allow me to go in the summer. And I would yeah. be gone for six weeks. I, I would take that much time out of the summer. She said, yeah, that's fine. Okay, I'll keep, the, I'll keep the home going. And when I was going to France, she'd come and join me in Paris, and I was ready, to, I was ready for, this, for the city experience and everything. But uh, that's one of the things, too. Just a nod to my wife for carting me down to the Ozarks as often as she has and for um, giving, her, giving me her blessing when I go out to hike. And the other thing about that, too, for, for hikers, you know, you have to realize, and hikers do, anybody who commits themselves to something, they have to know where their responsibilities are. If I had a family, if I had kids, my first responsibility would have to be to those kids. I couldn't go out, oh, no, I'm going to Europe for the summer, you know, sure. oh, freedom. No, you're a father. So act like a father and be a father. Well, I didn't have to do that. Yeah. And so I was able to go to Europe and hike and still am. Uh, without those kind of other commitments. And so, again, like with anything, you have to figure out your priorities and your responsibilities, and you go from there. But uh, the, I, I've never found anything that's come close to, to, the, to the experience that I get through hiking. And uh, whether it's in Europe with the socialization with the people there or the solitude that I find right here in our own backyard. So I just love it. And I'm thankful, uh, AJ, for the opportunity to talk about it because it's one of my favorite topics. And through what I saw on Facebook and everything, I'd say, oh, AJ's become a hiker. That's fantastic. AJ's one of us. Yeah. I, you know, and I thought, man, the football star is coming around. <laughs> He, you know, he I appreciate saw, that. Yeah. yeah and it's, so, been, it's been fun to be in this world and to finally kind of have something that I feel like is a second identity that I uh -huh. can kind of start to use this to kind of mold the rest of my life around. And there's a lot of lessons that I've learned from it. And, yeah. and it's just been in a very fun pursuit. So obviously I'm seeking the advice and sage wisdom of those that have done a lot more than me, like yeah. yourself. So oh, well. I appreciate you coming on. This is a lot of fun. It's been, it has been a lot of fun. Thanks so much. Thank you. Okay.